My name is Georgiana. I am CEO and founder of BeagleCat, and soon you will be listening to Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast. In this podcast, I regularly talk to employer branding managers, talent acquisition managers, and human resources managers in tech companies in Germany, Romania, and the US. For more content on employer branding-related themes, go to employerbranding.tech or beaglecat.com. Stay tuned! Hi everyone, this is Georgiana with a new episode of Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast. It's the end of the year and it looks like I'm talking to more and more interesting guests as this podcast ages or advances, or I don't know how to put it. Anyway, I'm super excited to, excited to, um, to be speaking to my guests today. Um, I'm actually... Uh, I was thinking a few days ago, who are the best people to invite on this podcast? And I was fortunate and lucky enough to have almost all of them. And today I'm speaking to Brian Cheney. Um, his royalty, in my opinion, no pressure there, Brian. He's one of the founders of Talent Brand Alliance. He has so, so much experience when it comes to um, talent management, even, I think, not just employer branding. I'm sure you have a lot to share, Brian, but first, before we get into our topics and, um, and our questions, please let us know how you got into employer branding, what, what made you stick to employer branding for so long, and how do you keep on learning and keep on yeah, being one of the best out there? Well, I will say that I never stop learning, and I really appreciate that warm introduction I'll, uh, I'll try to keep it interesting. I've been doing this work for a long time, uh, since 2004, actually. And what got me into the space was a job doing web and graphic design. So <laughs> I've been a marketer for a oh. long time. And okay. I, I accepted a job at a recruiting agency uh, doing web and graphic design work. And two weeks later, they said, congratulations, you're now in sourcing. And what that really meant was you have to source your prospective candidates for mm -hmm. a list of clients that we already have, and you're going to be launching recruitment marketing campaigns to them. So I fell into the practice of employer branding, recruitment marketing, or talent branding, depending upon where you sit in the world. That's, um, that's interesting for me to hear because I think we, we have sort of a similar background. Of course, my story with employer branding doesn't go as far back as yours, but I also started with digital marketing, then transitioned into recruitment marketing. And um, yeah, 2004, wow, that's, that's such a long time. You basically saw, I think, the field developing itself. And that brings me back to one of the points that I discussed in other, other podcasts with other guests. The US is five steps ahead of Europe when it comes to employer branding. Um, so but what's interesting there, what's interesting there is I will, I will say that the perception is that Europe is ahead of the States. And so the reason is level of maturity. So while, while the U S does things that um, other countries might not it, for the pursuit mm -hmm. of employer branding and, and recruitment marketing storytelling, the, the level of maturity and expectation for people in the role, I think, has been set uh, at a better level across Europe. But that's, that's my take on it. 
I think I think you're absolutely right. However, in reality, after speaking to people who have been in the role in companies in, in, in the U.S., it seems to me that the real deal is happening in the States, that the real budgets are used in employer branding in the States, and that people who occupy these roles really have something to say because they actually do employer branding in a strategic way, whereas we tend to see it in Europe, in my opinion, as more of a recruitment marketing effort. Sometimes we combine it with social media, sometimes with event organizing. So that's my perception then, while while living in Germany and having worked in Romania as well for a while. Yeah, and I would would definitely say that um, it also depends on the size of the organization. Uh, it's, it looks very different in a 400-person organization than a 400,000-person organization, too. Indeed. So Indeed. One, one person doing the work does not equal everybody else. Um, I like to say there are no experts, but really there's no one right way to do what we do. So that's why I focus on constantly learning. Indeed, indeed. I, in, and even in my, in my current job, I get the feeling that I'm expected to be some sort of jack of all trades. So I totally agree with you on that one. But um, Brian, seven years ago, you founded the Talent Brand Alliance. Obviously, you probably wanted to give something back from, from all that you've learned. What, what exactly has led you to do this? And how has this organization evolved? So all the way back in 2000, in December of 2012, I was having a pint with my good friend, Will Staney, and we were talking about where these organizations existed. We were in similar lines of work and we said, mm-hmm. where, where can we learn? Where are the people? How can we understand what's expected of us and how we can succeed? And it just didn't exist. Fast forward a few years and we decided to co-found the Talent Brand Alliance together because we knew what we wanted and mm-hmm. we wanted to go build it and make it available for the people doing this work. There's some first mover um, motivations for doing that. We want to be the, the standard. We want to help define what the profession is. Um, the bad news is that we still haven't defined what the profession is <laughs> reliably, yes. um, but, but we're, we're making progress. And especially over the past few years, um, employer branding has really risen in visibility across the corporate landscape as a means to tell the story, attract people, and, and manage a reputation so that people mm-hmm. understand what they're getting into and what they should look for in their That's next right. career move. And you know, while, while looking at your profile, I came across this term, which makes a lot of sense, but which I hadn't seen before called talent branding. And I'm wondering, is it the same as employer branding? Would you think? Is it different? And so, at the same time, where, where do you feel you bring more value because you've worked in the, in the two? I don't, I don't think it's a matter of more or less value. I think it's the matter of scope. And when you think about um, what, we, what we refer to as talent brand, it's inclusive of employer brand, recruitment marketing, but also employee communications. All those pieces are interconnected. If it was a Venn diagram, there would be a huge overlap in the uh-huh. three circles, understanding what we do, how we impact each other, 
and how we need each other to be successful. So a, a talent brand is the holistic story of what a company's doing, the way that they would like to be perceived, which is more traditionally employer brand. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. a talent brand is really about bringing the employee stories into it. So the unvarnished stories, the reputation experience around what a company is providing for employees. And, and that is their voice elevated. So it's not just how do I want to be perceived, but how are the people living these stories actually perceiving their own experience? And then how is that communicated and activated and leveraged? And that's talent brand as a holistic entity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. And um, I would add to the, the whole talk about employer branding, talent branding, um, employee communications. I would add creative ideation, which is something that you also specialize in. And I, I cannot stress this enough, how important storytelling and, um, and having a, a, a strong creative ideation process in place for a company in order to better attract and, and retain talent. And yet so many companies fail short of of doing it. Why do you think that happens? Well, quite simply, the easiest answer to give is that most companies are afraid to stand out. They're afraid to tell actual unique stories from the people who live them. And it's a practice um, that I like to refer to as employer blanding. So what that means is if you take someone's EVP, a, a company's EVP, a company's tagline, their statement, their marketing materials, yeah. the things that they put out there to tell that story for the majority, the overwhelming majority of companies, you can pull that company's name off of those materials and swap it with just about any other company doing a similar thing. So there's no differentiation. There's no, uh, there's no unique aspect that's different. That's standing out and telling a true story of what that experience is going to hold for the employee. And that's a big problem for, for storytellers, for people who want to differentiate and for people who want to know why am I going to this company versus another company? And it's something that, um, because, because I'll say employer branding or the act of talent branding is relatively new when you consider the comparison to marketing. It's usually a few years behind the marketing trends, the marketing um, aspects and tactics yep. and strategies yep. that really push things forward. So there's the, this ability to be brave and maybe it's because we, you know, the majority of us sit in HR, maybe we're afraid to be brave or maybe we're afraid to take risks. Maybe we're, maybe we really um, don't understand what that differentiator is but we tend to want to say things and put posters up in the lobby of things that make you feel good, but that sound a whole lot like other safe things and experiences that other companies have said. Have you felt, and this is just something that's crossed my mind spontaneously, have you found yourself in the role of having to be a denter at some point, of having to just fight for what you thought of, for what you believed in, in any of the organizations you were in? 
Because like you said, Absolutely. many times we're, you know, we're attached somehow to HR, other times with marketing, because it happened to me. And it's so difficult to sort of bridge the two areas. You, you have to fight. You have to fight in a creative way. You have to fight in a fair way. And you have to fight knowing that you're, effect, you're effectively fighting a family member because you, yeah. at the end, you're still on the same team, but you have to fight with data. You have to fight with stories mm -hmm. and you have to have those experiences of the employees that tell the accurate story of what you offer and be truthful about what that exchange is. We, we like to be aspirational a lot of times. And what that does is that puts a gap between the day-to-day -day experience today and where the company would like to see it go or where people would hope that the company ends up. So there's this gap in experience. And if, if, you're, if you're talking about where you wanna go, just about where you wanna go and less about where you are, what you end up doing is you end up attracting people who get disappointed, get disengaged, and ultimately leave the company because they were sold something that was never delivered. Yes. And I think that's a big part of, um, of the gap. And the thing that you have to fight for is the truth. And you have to use stories from real people to be able to substantiate that truth and not just what the marketing team may want to represent along their own narrative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this, this is a very encouraging perspective because I feel that most of us working in, in employer branding have to, to fight our way through most of the time. And it helps to know that it, you know, it's the case for everybody that we're not alone. And the challenge is you have to fight and you still have to have a fan on the other side of that competition yes. when you're done. Exactly, exactly. Um, I, I stumbled upon um, a very interesting quote on your LinkedIn profile. You have a lot of very educational and informative content, but this one attracted my, uh, my eye because in the end, I think employer branding is essentially about humans. And you were saying that the humans we build relations, relationships with will outlast all companies that we may represent. We should act accordingly. How does this statement apply nowadays with, lo with all this madness that we're witnessing, all of these layoffs, everyone just writing messages and then posting on LinkedIn how they've been fired the day before? How, how can we still navigate this in a civil manner? How can we not hate everyone in the company that just let us go. Yeah. And, and I think that's important to talk about layoffs because most people who are laid off are done so by little to no fault of their own. It's a decision that the company has made for business interests. It's yes. not a decision that most likely that your direct supervisor made or even their supervisor. It's something that the company has decided to do either because they actually need to do it and have that restructure or they're taking advantage of the market and the perception of yeah. all these companies doing layoffs right now and they're hopping on the bandwagon to try to cut as much of their costs out either before <laughs> year end before reconciliation or because they've overhired and made you know um, yes. the mm -hmm. decisions that were not right for their time and growth previously, and they're trying to correct for that. So all that said, 
I think it's really important to know that you have relationships with the people that you've worked with. And those relationships will far outlast, um, overwhelmingly far outlast the relationship that you have with the company. Because you, how many times have you, um, have you come across someone and you worked with them three companies ago? And, and, and I say that because I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older. I've been doing this work for, as you said, a while. Um, but, but one thing I've learned over time as I've seen a few of these downturns is the relationships will outlast the mm -hmm. employment. So mm -hmm. if you understand that, then you can grasp onto the relationships with individuals and understand what they're able to give you, what you're able to offer them in return and take that for the actual exchange, the actual value, the currency that you're getting from those relationships, yes, helps you pay your rent or your mortgage, yes, puts food on the table, but the real earnings, the real value that you're getting is the relationships that you're able to build as a result of those working environments. And that's the currency, that's the exchange, that's the capital that you're building up over time is the people who know who you are know mm -hmm. what you can deliver and know your dependability, your character, all the things that you stand for. Those are the people who are going to help you above and beyond what some company may offer you at a point in time when it suits them. I, I absolutely agree. I think this is a very encouraging, if you like, and a very warm, touching perspective because it emphasizes the, the human side of working in employer branding and of seeing people as assets, which they really are the most important asset of a company. Um, but now if, if we were to put ourself, ourselves in the perspective of the company, do you think it's possible to lay people off and not lose your reputation, your employer brand reputation that sometimes you worked for, for decades to build? I do absolutely think that's possible. I think it's rare, but I do think it's possible. In a recent instance, I had a chief people officer ask me, um, we're about to go through some reductions. We're about to go through a layoff. How do we protect our employer brand? And mm -hmm. my response to them was, you take every single resource, every single dollar, every single ounce of effort and creativity that you want to drive your employer brand and protect that reputation. And you give it to the people that you're about to impact, because that is the way that you safeguard your employer brand is by using the means that you have at your disposal to ease that transition, to help support them and to also communicate to them in an effective way. You have everything from Zoom layoffs to email layoffs to things that were done um, in, in, in retrospect and poor taste and maybe even uh, ahead of time it was poor taste and they made the decisions to do it anyway. But if yep. you think about that experience, it's going to align a lot with your candidate experience or what you, what you prioritize um, in, your, in the way you treat people. And you can protect your your reputation. It's going to take a hit. It's you're going to get some, some ratings and reviews that don't align with who you want to be. But overwhelmingly what's going to happen 
is people are going to understand the investment that you made in helping them make that transition, whether that's outplacement support, severance, whether that's how you communicate with them, the resources that you provide, even as little as the message that you send to them to let them know why this thing is happening and going to impact their world. The tone, the voice, the words, and how you want to support them and refer to them after they're gone, that's going to protect your employer brand. That is going to help you move forward because people understand that how you react in the worst situation reveals your character. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of talk about how employer branding is about honesty. It's about the truth. The truth will get you the furthest. It's always important to, to not lie, although everybody lies, right? I'm sure you, um, you've come across this, this statement many, many times, but still, what's your perspective on it? How important is honesty and how can we all make use of it without, without fearing to, to, to look vulnerable? Because I think in the end, ultimately, that's what companies will fear. If I, if I say too much, if I show too much, who will apply to work for us? Well, to respond directly to your question, if you show too much, who will apply? The people who are ready for what you have today. Those are the people who will apply. They, they might not be the people that you thought you were going to be recruiting. But mm -hmm. if you tell people that you have very little stability, that you have um, a lot of challenges from an organizational structure, that there are uphill battles that they're going to have to fight and that there's a lot of systems that still need to be defined, you're telling your potential candidates who are looking for that level of challenge, who have built that thing, who have, who have climbed that mountain, you're telling them that you have a chance for them to do it again. So I feel like honesty um, first... For, for a lot of channels, honesty tends to be about how we feel or the experience that we have or our opinion. So honesty so much in that expression is really more about telling it from our own perspective and being true to that. It's not necessarily about facts, um, but I would say that being honest and telling the honest story from the perspective of employees and what they're going through and what they've been through. I think that is absolutely essential to be able to do this work because you're, if you're not honest, you're creating a problem six to 12 months down the line mm -hmm. and you're, and you're, you're doing it for the sake of a short term gain that won't yield what, what is driving the reason that you, you decided to, to, to tell that lie or to be dishonest. You wanted to do that so that people can come in and help you solve those problems. And if you do that, then they're not going to be around to do what you need to do long-term. So, so that brings us to, um, to the very expression of, um, of a company's brand, if you'd like, or, um, yeah, the, the very expression of what is expected of someone, and that is expressed usually in a job description, which nowadays sounds like every other job description. On top of that, they all present these very 
unrealistic requirements and demands that just put people off. And I'm wondering what what kind of advice or, or practical tips would you give companies that publish job ads out there? Well, I would agree that a lot of job ads sound the same. And back to the employer branding, uh, or should I say employer blanding, it's understanding that you have to tell a unique message. The job description is what, uh, or job ad or job posting. Notice, notice there's a distinction. And I'll, I'll call out the fact that if a, if a job posting says that you need to be able to lift uh, 20 kilograms uh, and, and pivot during the day or squat, it's a job description. It's not a job posting or an advertisement. It's a legal document. And so the people writing legal documents are needed, but they're needed in legal and HR. So yeah. when you think about what a job description should be, as it goes to an external market, a job posting or advertisement should actually be speaking to the things that are absolutely essential for success in the role and talking about the unique differentiators, the things that they're offering that aren't in any other job. What does this person care about? And the hiring teams know this. So you have to be digging into the stories with them because they're not thinking about necessarily um, what is the most compelling. They're thinking about what will sell it. And they're two different things. So you have to be able to listen to the hiring teams or the hiring manager. You have to be able to distill the most compelling pieces of that job alongside the things that are most critical for the person to do. If you see a 38 bullet point list of job requirements, you, you did not sit down with that hiring manager and have a, a, a frank conversation about what was really needed. Excellent communicator, great. Did we really need that in the job description? No, yeah. but it was in the last crappy job description. So we decided to copy and paste it and put it in this one. That's most of the time why something exists in a job description is because it was pulled from the previous job description that nobody took enough time to write. And I think that's really important. There's a couple of things that I've learned um, in, in my last role about how a job description should be formatted. And you have to put the thing that's most close to the experience for the job seeker, the candidate, the applicant, whatever you, word you want to use, the thing that's mm -hmm. closest to them is what the job will mean to them. It's about them. It is not about the company. So if you look at your job descriptions or your job postings and you start with the company, you're mm -hmm. going to lose them. And we yeah. actually did this. I tested some data across thousands and thousands of applicants um, in, in job descriptions and we flipped it on its head. So we, we had started with the company and we went all the way down in the description to talk about the person, you, at the end, the job seeker or the candidate. And we realized that we, we needed to try flipping that. So we changed the order. So we started with you. And then we ended with the company. So the person knew they were able to say yes at the beginning because they met those qualifications. If they don't know what's going to apply to them first and what's going to directly impact their day, they're either going to get disinterested or they're going to not understand how they relate to that job or how the job relates to them. So changing up the order is super important. 
and also understanding that you only put things in the job description that are absolutely critical to doing the job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The more people see all the bullet points, the more they have a chance to disqualify themselves for the role. That is a, a very, very, very valid point, indeed. Um, since we're approaching the end of, um, of our discussion and the end of the year at the same time, I'm wondering if you can name any potential trends that will become facts or real practices in 2023 when it comes to employer branding? Well, I think what's going to happen is that people look at uh, histories very differently, histories of companies mm -hmm. and histories of candidates very, very differently due to what's happened over the past three years. We've had massive movements and changes. We've had layoffs. And yeah. to understand what's going to provide that consistency, what's going to provide that story, I think that the emphasis, and we'll talk a little bit differently about what's going to happen in the States versus what's going to happen globally. I, I think the focus in the States has been more on the company and less on the individual. And I mm -hmm. think that's going to change. I think what's happening is there's going to be more around the individual and the gravity of their relationships and the work that they do that's actually going to change the attraction of candidates that we seek. Um, we think that we can talk about a brand and have that brand do all the work for us. And it does some of the work, but I feel like the, the difference that and the influence that a brand ambassador is going to make as to what they bring to the role, to the team, to the initiative. I think that's going to change. And I, I actually feel like the, the role of the, not just the employee referral, but the actual brand ambassador is going to change because that's where the weight of, um, relationships lies. And that's the sphere of influence. Brands have continually lost the power and the resonance that they've had with, with candidates, with customers, uh, especially when it comes to messaging. They don't believe what a brand has to say largely, mostly in comparison to what somebody that they know, like, and trust has to say. So I look for the rise of the influencer in the employer and talent brand space. And I feel like there's going to be some technologies and some platforms that allow that to happen and allow someone to function as a recruiter without ever being a recruiter within talent acquisition or HR. You know what I, I find really, really interesting um, that I, I, I was speaking to a friend of mine who was in HR over lunch today and she was telling me uh, she had to fire five people of her team um, a few days ago. And she said, you know, Georgiana, what I what I think right now, she's Brazilian. She also worked, worked in the States for a while. And she said, what I'm experiencing right now is that companies in Europe are starting to, to have the same approach to hiring as companies in the U.S. There's this 
firing happening from from today to tomorrow, whereas, you know, in Germany, laws were very restrictive and very protective of the employees. And not many companies would have taken this approach. And I look around me, I look around me in Berlin and even in Romania nowadays, and it's happening more and more. So I I think that there's a shift and I'm not sure it's for the for, for the better, in, in my opinion. And I'm uh, looking forward to see how this phenomenon evolves next year because what's happening right now is only going to generate the great resignation once again once the economy stabilizes again i think and and that's and that's the piece that we'll come back to is that this will happen again and it'll happen again and it will keep happening and the companies and the people at those companies that recognize that it is cyclical and that you have to treat people well because you can treat people poorly and they'll keep coming to you because they have to. But when you treat people well, they'll come to you because they want to. And they'll come to you because they want to, whether the times are good or bad or somewhere in the middle. And I feel like understanding those cycles will help you lean on those relationships more. And I hope, I hope, I well, I hope that the trend that you're seeing is, is wrong. I fear that it's not, but yeah. I hope that we can take away from that the need for people to do the right thing instead of just companies having to do the right thing and treating people well and thinking about the transition and thinking about employee rights. I feel like we have to stand up as individuals and, and say what's right and not take for granted that the company is going to do it for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just to conclude, do you think there's anything that could have been done to prevent what's what's happening right now? I mean, of course, there's a lot of factors involved from societal to economic to whatever. What what could have been done from the company perspective to avoid this massive wave of layoffs? I think I think it's really systemic around understanding what drives the economic engine in your company. And understanding that growth for the sake of growth is not positive and, yeah. and changing those expectations. We've had, we've had some, some decades where growth for the sake of growth has been the indicator of success. Yes. And we're seeing now that there has to be a balance. And so it's understanding where that line is drawn and understanding that not only is growth um, is unfettered growth dangerous, but unfettered spending is also dangerous. We've had, we've had uh, very, very inexpensive money over the over the past uh, yeah. over the past uh, really over the past couple of decades. Mm-hmm. And when we think about borrowing and we think about lending and we think about the the cost of creating and doing business, it's been pretty inexpensive. So understanding the true cost of doing business and understanding where your actual performance lies for your company. I think that could have, I I think that could have changed it. I also feel like that is very widespread. And that's why you're seeing not just the tech companies making these changes and laying off thousands of people you're now seeing companies like Pepsi Cola and others who are re-examining 
their strategy, their, their practices in line with this. So because of the nature of information, we are all now keenly aware that these things are happening and it's making people re-examine how they've done business. So do I think that we, there's one thing that we could have fixed this? No, but I do think that we're in the process of fixing it ourselves. And unfortunately, a lot of people have to suffer at the hands of that learning. Mm-hmm. This has been very nice, just as I expected, a lot of content to, to digest, a lot of useful information. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to me today. And I uh, wish you all the best, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed it. Appreciate the, the context and asking some very good and insightful questions um, that will keep us all thinking. Thanks for the time. 